hey, folks, let me tell you a story because I have two left hands when it comes to fixing things, when it comes to doing projects, but I am really motivated to do projects around the house now if it involves any of my steel power equipment. Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They have blowers, they have chainsaws, they have trimmers. I went out and I was doing some trim stuff around the yard and I found out I was having so much fun doing it. I got my project done. I was actually looking for other stuff to do with my steel trimmer and I I blew out the garage a couple of uh, weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. They're easy to use. They're lightweight. They have heavy-duty stuff as well. They are household products, and they're also commercial products, and they have over 9,000 dealers around the country. Go to SteelUSA.com. Again, it's S-T-I-H-L-U-S-A.com to find a dealer near you. Find the steel dealer that's right for you. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Broman, the hot and cold Rockies are at the halfway point. We went straight up, and then we went straight down. What's next? You know, even a game or two above 500 in the next 30, you're in a good place. And Drew visits with Padres TV analyst Mark Grant about some behind-the-scenes stuff and Fernando Tatis Jr. You're not going to meet a nicer kid. He loves playing the game. He roots for his teammates. He's the whole package, man. He's a generational tape player. This is the Drew Goodman podcast with julie brownman so welcome everybody to the drew goodman podcast with julie brownman it is number 59 and a little bit later on in the program we're going to visit with the padres longtime television analyst and a former rocky albeit briefly mark grant who's a hilarious guy we have a great conversation but most importantly right now Mm -hmm. how is julie (laughs) julie's good julie's off from work today so you and I, we have different Schedules. different energies today. Yeah. yeah. You're wearing your pajamas, <laughs> and I'm, as we tape this, uh, this unusual, we're taping on late on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm about right. to head down to our studio because the Rockies are still in Arizona, and mm-hmm. we can't be there. So this is a little different because it's normally late at night, and there's alcohol involved. Right. I, can I can drink. drink. You can yeah. drink. Yeah. You can wear your pajamas and your house <laughs> dress, and I'm, you know, wearing a half a suit. Yeah. Um, do you ever get... Before broadcast, do you ever, I used to still sometimes get nervous, um, not like crazy nervous, but a little bit of energy that I wouldn't normally have. Do you still get that before you go on? I, well, let me describe it. I don't get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this, that on the occasion where, you know, if I were just doing a national game, when I was doing games, you know, for Fox or, or for ESPN, mm-hmm. would there be, you know, all of a sudden a little greater um, you know, energy or rush, as you say, adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little bit. But you get in a place where you're you're doing this day after day. You you never take it for granted, yeah. and you do flip that switch that you are now. You know, you're broadcasting a game and and you're you know being professional, but within the confines of your personality. So no, and I th- I think um, I think. That goes away at some point when you're doing something day after day. But going back to what I originally said, it's a really big game or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you, you have that adrenaline rush and maybe, you know, a couple of butterflies. I think that's a good thing. It, it reminds you of when you were competing. For sure. And actually, you might get a little adrenaline rush tonight. This goes into our steel power drive because we're the halfway point of the season. It's weird saying that because we've played 30 games and now we're halfway home. And that went fast. It, it went really fast. And it was a great, it's so far been a crazy roller coaster. We went straight up and then we went straight down. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're leveling off a little bit. Well, we're trying to climb back up. It's, <laughs> right. it's, again, as we taped this on a Wednesday, the Rockies, after a miserable week where they went 0 7 against Houston and the Dodgers, mm-hmm. and the week prior wasn't great either, all of a sudden they found themselves two games under 500. Um, again, as we tape, they've won two in a row down in Arizona. I, I, they're still not hitting on all cylinders, but at least they've righted the ship. So you go, okay, 15 and 15 halfway through. And we always ask this question in sports. Would you have taken that a, a month ago when we gathered if I said, hey, Julie, at the halfway point, the Rockies are 15 and 15? Yeah, I guess. It's a pretty vanilla 
it's hard to forget the eleven and three, right? Well, you're um, you're not allowed to, to do oh, that because this that's is before the game? this is okay. this is before sure. any of that happened. Sure, of course. Because then you'd say, okay, if you play really well in the second half, you know, you could still get to thirty two, thirty three, thirty four wins. Yeah, I will say this, Julie. Thirty may get you in the expanded postseason. I think thirty one certainly will. And so now you're talking about it's not like you have to play extraordinarily well. Over the next thirty, you have to play, you know, five hundred or better. You know, even a game or two above five hundred in the next thirty, you're in a good place. So if we look towards the second half of the season, which almost makes me giggle, right? That <laughs> the second month of the season, the which also <laughs> happens to be the second half of the season. Exactly. So what should the Rockies, if, if Buddy Black is sitting around with his coaches, he's like, okay, guys, here's our goals for the second half of the season. What are those? Well, you want to get in the party. Right, mm, for sure. isn't that what we say in the NBA and the NHL? Mm-hmm. You know, get in the tournament, and now it is more of a tournament in that they're taking eight teams this year in each league. Get in, and as we know in baseball, it's not always the the team with the most talent on it. It's a team that gets hot, the team that pitches well. And I read if the if the season ended today, we could play that game again. The Rockies would be at Wrigley Field. And they'd play the Cubs three games, best out of three. Right. So you look at the Cubs makeup. You Darvish is having a good year. I mean, they have, you know, some big names. They're the Cubs, right? But you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, holy shit, they can't beat the Cubs, Mm -hmm. right? Well, who are you putting on the mound? Well, I mean, if you're able to set it up, I know Herman hasn't pitched great the last couple of times. Kyle Freeland's been lights out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in some combination, the first two ball games, you're going to have. Herman and, and Kyle, if right. if you can set it up that way, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're safely into the postseason and you're still three or four games left next month, and you can now go, okay, you know what, we're going to pass on Kyle, so we have him leading off in Chicago or whatever. Right. Um, you hope you're in that kind of position, and you don't have to win the last day of the year just to get in. Here's another goal that is really out of everybody's hands is staying healthy for the next 30. The staying healthy with the, the your key guys, right? That is what is said when you're playing 162. It's what is said when you get down to that final month of the season if you are playing 162 to your point. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's profoundly important right now for the Rockies. By and large, knock on wood, they have been pretty healthy. David Dahl um you know, is going to be coming back soon. He he was hurt. You know, Chichi Gonzalez, who's your you know fifth sixth starter kind of kind of guy. He went down for a little bit. Wade Davis, you know, was coming off a rough year, went down. Uh, but your key guys, uh, Scott Oberg, big loss. I don't want to I don't want to forget about that because Scott won't play in twenty twenty. He was going to be your eighth, and probably with Wade faltering right away, he was going to be your ninth inning guy. That's a, that's an enormous loss. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're thinking. You're t- thinking your everyday guys, your Blackmans, your Nolans, your Trevor Stories. Yeah, you, you got to have those guys. So last podcast, we did talk about Nolan having a tough go of it, which every, you know, he's phenomenal. But every season we seem to, he kind of goes through a, a bit of a slump. That So the next 30, that can't happen. The Rockies can't have a slump as a team and your big hitters can't go into a hitting slump. Yeah, no. Listen, Charlie Blackman, who had 500 for, what, two and a half, three weeks, which mm-hmm. was ludicrous. You knew he wasn't – I mean, he came out and said, he goes, I'm not going to hit 400. The game's too hard. The pitching's too great. And, and I think as today starts, Charlie's at 395. Like, we'll take that. Uh, he'll, he'll absolutely <laughs> take that. But to your point about Nolan, and we spent a good deal of time discussing him last week, this is one of the game's great players. And he, by his standards, he had a miserable first 30 games. By his standards. I mean, it wasn't – I mean, he didn't hit with runners in scoring position. He hit a handful of home runs. Um, they need him to be Nolan next month, this this upcoming month, which starts tonight. Right. And and you need Charlie to be Charlie. Trevor's had a really good first half of the season. Again, I'm like you chuckling saying that. You need your best players to be really good, and then you need some other guys to step forward because they still have underachieved offensively. Before we take our first break, I do want to talk about, and I, I just, I was reading about it today, yesterday and today, and I had to giggle out loud. The trading deadline <laughs> is coming up next Monday, right? Yeah. On the 31st. So, you know, it's here. It, I feel like it was here. The season started and then all of a sudden it's the trading deadline. 
But then you go, all right, are the Rockies going to be buyers or sellers? And this has been like a bit of a bipolar first half of the season for the Rockies because you think, okay, they're off to this 11 and three start. And then they go on that, that big slump. And you're like, well, maybe it's kind of, it's not happening this year, but I don't know if you had to guess today, what would Jeff Breidish be doing? It's it's really tricky, and not just for Jeff Breidich. It's tricky for a number of teams around baseball, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Because you're virtually everybody, you know, save maybe the Pirates and and you know a couple other teams, have to look at themselves and say, "Well, we can get in this thing, mm-hmm. right? And can we give ourselves a little boost?" And I think that you know Jeff initially probably when they were 11 and 3 so like okay we're definitely going to try to be buyers mm-hmm. and now at 15 and 15 you know th- this next week is is huge you know if the Rockies get through this week and maybe they're a game or two above 500 they're still in a playoff position he tries to make a move but here's where it gets really complex Julie most moves are made for you, you want somebody who can help you immediately that means they're an established player whether it's a position player or a relief pitcher or maybe a starter, right? Mm-hmm. The other team in return, they're they're in transition. They want building blocks. They want a prospect. Depending on how significant the player is they're letting go, they may want a couple of high-level prospects. And this is where it really gets tricky. None of those guys have played this year. Right. Maybe they're at an alternate site, or maybe they were in high A, but there was no minor league season. So you're going off scouting reports that you had on some 20-year-old from a year ago. That's where it really makes this thing um, far more difficult than a normal trade deadline. Does difficult mean we probably won't see much? I don't think you'll see as much as you ordinarily would. And... That doesn't mean that some teams won't try to make a move, um, but it it is it's certainly, I think, a, a more difficult proposition. Um, and, and even even if you're letting go some of your young talent, right? You you may be reticent to do that. Say, boy, I wanted to see another year of this guy. I mean, maybe he makes a significant jump and he becomes a better piece than. We imagine that person is right now because you're going off what that person did uh, a year ago. So the other thing I always point out, Julian, we've talked about this before. People, fans always get angry and say, why didn't they trade this guy? Why didn't they trade for that guy? You don't know what conversations take place privately that never become of the public record where you know, we were trying to get Julie Brown and we offered this, we offered that, and we could never consummate a deal to get Julie Brown. Thank God. Um, what? I'm sorry. It's not very nice. That was, no, that was terrible. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. So so fans assume, oh, they never tried to get Julie Brownman. They could have had Julie Brownman and they never tried. No, they couldn't evidently work out enough that the team that had Julie Brownman was going to relinquish Julie Brownman. It would be great to hear some of Bradish's stories, which he'll never tell us, or any GM's stories about those conversations, because you just don't hear stuff about that, it. Stuff that never happened. Stuff that never you happens. You know, Dan, Dan O'Dowd has shared with me in, in my book um, that I did with Ben Hockman, he has, he has shared publicly you know, a couple of deals, Larry Walker being involved, Todd Helton being involved, that never happened. Whew, and goodness. some of the players that, that the Rockies would have had he had a big one with Texas um Ian Kinsler I'll just say this was one of the guys who was going to come back for Larry Walker the deal was done and Larry nixed it didn't want to go to Texas and then ultimately the Rockies traded him to St. Louis and what they got back wasn't you know nearly as sexy the best thing that came out of that is they cleared up enough money to sign 14th round pick Dexter Fowler who wanted and deserved first round money mm-hmm. otherwise he was either going to go to harvard or the university of miami and i know that sounds you know one or the other that's yeah, a De- strange choice dex got into harvard and so they were able to offer him nine hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars, the money they saved um when they traded larry walker uh-huh. and so they took dexter wasn't going to sign because super bright kid and and so the Rockies he slipped in the draft. The Rockies took him in the fourteenth round, and uh, ultimately they were able to sign him because they used utilized that money 
uh, they saved with Larry Walker. But, you know, Dan has shared a couple of trades that didn't happen. But you're right. Fascinating stuff. And, and every general manager has those stories. That is really good stuff. I really like Dex when he was here. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to Mark Grant or you talk to Mark Grant, the Padres color commentator on the TV side. Former big league reliever. Here. Right. Well, he finished. He finished here. He was a number one pick of the San Francisco Giants. Threw really hard coming out of Joliet Catholic High School in Joliet, Illinois. Who knew? Chicago suburb. Yeah. So we'll talk to Mud, Mudcat, right? Yeah. And we find out where uh, he got that nickname from. But first, we want to tell you. Of course, this is fun. It is fun to be a Colorado sports fan right now with most of the Denver teams in the mix at least in the mix, the perfect time to start playing the app Bet Monarch. Of course, the Avalanche trying to get back into that series with the Stars. Can they do that? Nuggets Jazz, which we haven't talked about. That uh, That's going to be an interesting one. Thank God they came back last night as we taped tonight. They they had a furious comeback. It looked like they, yes. were, they were done, and they had a marvelous comeback, and uh, Jamal Murray has been sensational. He's been fun. So they're down 3-2 in the series with the Jazz. Rockies, as of now, as of today, they would make the playoffs, so if you want to bet on the Rockies, you can do it at Bet Monarch. It's really simple. Download the Bet Monarch app anytime in the Apple App Store for Apple devices, or you can visit their website, monarchblackhawk.com, and that'll help you out if you have an Android device. Every wager earns comps for use on their beautiful property. It's the Bet Monarch app app. Go get it. And of course, as we do on every podcast, want to talk about Boyer's news. And this is exciting. We've been telling you this for weeks. The Boyer's Coffee Mobile Coffee Cafe is parked at their old schoolhouse cafe location. It's off of 73rd and Washington. There's going to be a huge food truck. I've seen what the food truck is going to look like. There's no date yet of when it's going to be open, but it's going to be open soon. The hours will be posted on their website and Facebook page. There's going to be a select menu of specialty drinks. Maybe, of course, the Boyer's Baristas that we know and we love. There's going to be a coffee cottage. You can purchase bags of freshly roasted Boyer's coffee, still roasted by their expert team right here in Denver. And this is cool, Drew, because it's so nice to do, to get a cup of coffee, a fresh cup of coffee, and there'll be outdoor seating available for some socially distant relaxation. So again, that's at the Old Cafe at 73rd in Washington. They're going to have a huge food truck, a coffee cafe. It's going to be mobile. We'll let you know the date as soon as we know. But as soon as we know, we're going to go up there. Okay? Absolutely. Um, You know what? I I spend uh, every day during the baseball season going over to the Boyer's Cafe at uh, Coors Field. I miss doing that, but you can get it at home just like Julie and I do. Absolutely right. Okay, so before we get to the interview with Mark Grant, who's the Padres color commentator on television, he's incredibly funny. So you're and and really baseball. He's like you, like so knowledgeable about baseball. It was fun to hear this interview. You guys kind of going back and forth and your enjoyment of it. Yeah, I want and I want to tell you something because usually when I do one of these interviews, I write down a lot of different thoughts I have that you know I'd, I'd like to pose certain questions toward whoever the subject is. Right mm-hmm. with Mud, I wrote down a few things, but I also knew that the conversation w- would just evolve organically. And he he's people out here may not know a lot about him, but he is a funny guy. He's a great broadcaster. He he loves the game of baseball, and as I said earlier, he was a former number one pick, and um, he's it, it's just an interesting baseball conversation. And they got an exciting team now, the Padres, who the Rockies are are playing this weekend. Hopefully, not too exciting. So, I want to ask you, what is life like as a broadcaster right now in the um, kind of environment that we're in? In what just happened to Tom Brenneman? Um, now what he said was terrible and he should have been suspended. Um, you always have to assume as a broadcaster that your mic is live, but most of us don't. I will say that. I think people, and you get in a kind of a comfort level that it's almost like you're in your own office and, and therefore I'm in my office and, and so I can, you know, F bomb if I want or whatever. Well, just because you go to commercial break does not mean that that mic maybe isn't hot or uh, you know an audio person forgot to pot it down or turns it up a little bit before they get back from the break. And I'm just putting it on audio people. You have to be aware that whatever your conversation is, there's the potential that other people can hear it. Um, and maybe it's a small group within a truck 
or maybe sometimes it's a much larger group. People have asked me, do I worry about, you know, saying something? Um, Your it, greatest problem is going to be saying an F-bomb. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's half of my vocabulary. <laughs> right. And I don't, the other language, and, and I'm not here to beat up Tom Brenneman, what he said was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't worry about that because words like that, thoughts like that, are, as you well know, are not part of my vocabulary or my constitution. Right. So I don't worry about that. Do I worry about, you know, in in a commercial break saying, you know, talking to Jeff Houston saying, what the fuck's going on with that guy or whatever? (laughs) He may say the same thing. I mean, I wouldn't say it like that. I'm, I'm exaggerating right now. But, you know, that would be something that you just have to be, you know, careful or that was an awful friggin' play, which you would, never say yeah i guess that wasn't a great question because that's always what you had to be um always what you had to be aware of i guess yeah i mean everybody's extremely sensitive right now but that that doesn't excuse what he said you know and we don't have that path but listen tom is a professional um you know friend in that you know, it's not like we exchange Christmas cards, but I've known Tom for a long time. His dad was one of the first guys to come up to me my first year and and said, welcome to the big leagues, kid. And his mm-hmm. dad, you know, a legendary figure, you know, he has apologized, you know, profusely. What he said was, you know, was was reprehensible. Um but yeah. when when you get in this business, you're aware, Julie, you've been in the business a long time, whether it's on radio and in, in a, you know, in a studio setting and you go to commercial or wherever, you, you always have to be, you know, cognizant. And um, so, yeah, I, I would worry for me more about the F-bomb. Well, I think everybody's going to be entertained by uh, our conversation. And I will I will let you behind the curtain a little bit. There are certain broadcasting teams that you become closer to and and most of the time it's within your division because you see those guys all the time like you know Kuiper and Kruko are good friends the who do the Giants you know and Mud and Don Orsillo have become good friends because we see the Padres on a regular basis and, and you have other broadcasting you know colleagues around the the nation that you end up becoming pretty you know friendly with and so on and it's useful because you're comparing notes on your team so it's it's great information for both sides but sometimes in the middle of a broadcast i'll run next door and you know mess with those guys or, or they'll come over and, and mess with us in a commercial break speaking of commercial breaks um so mud's one mud's one of my favorites mark grant had a had a solid big league career as a formerly a starter and then became a reliever and as we talked about earlier he finished his career in colorado but i think you'll enjoy our ideal home loans interview of the week with mark grant longtime analyst on the padres television broadcast well, it's always good to catch up with a broadcasting colleague and friend, Mark Grant, who's uh, affectionately known as Mud. For go- going way back, I remember as a kid, Mudcat Grant. Is that where your nickname comes from? Yeah. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, good what? to talk to you as always. Um, yeah, a quick story. Um, you know, I was with the Giants. I signed out of high school in 1981 with the San Francisco Giants. And 1980, that was my first to be added to the uh, 40-man roster, so it was my first big league camp. And so, you know, going to camp and, you know, what the first few weeks of camp are like, you know, you're going through drills and stuff like that. And um, one of our coaches was Danny Ozark. Do you remember Danny Ozark? Yeah, absolutely. Philly's manager, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And... um, he was awesome. He was a baseball guy through and through. So anyway, one day we're doing PFPs and we're covering first base. And, you know, during the workouts, you know, coach, pitching coach would be standing on the mound watching guys, you know, coach at home plays hitting fungos. And, you know, we're covering first base. And Danny, uh, OZ, as we affectionately called him, uh, was over at first base just kind of seeing things through. So, you know, ball was hit to the right side. I cover first base and make the play. There he goes, hey, that a boy, Mudcat. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. I said, because, and that really, it, it rang a bell to me immediately because, you know, I was growing up as a kid, 
uh, I, I love the history of baseball, and I learned the history of baseball through my dad uh, getting, getting me a subscription to Baseball Digest. Um, so I, I knew about baseball in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. And when he said that, I said, oh, yeah, Jim Budcat Grant. I said, uh, and by the way, he had one heck of a career. If you look at his numbers, he—he he I don't think he gets talked about enough. But, uh, he had a great career. So because of my last name and, uh, you know, just being a baseball guy, he started calling me Mudcat. And then every time in the clubhouse I saw him, you know, he'd say that. And other people heard it, and they just started calling me that. It sucked. Some people call me Mud. Some people call me Mudcat. So that's how that originated. Actually, I didn't know your name was Mark until I was preparing to give you a call and interview you for this. And I said, Jesus, I don't even know what the hell his first name is. Yeah, you call him, you call the house. You say, hey, excuse me, is, uh, is Mud there? <laughs> Actually, I was formal. I was formal with your wife. I said, is Mr. Mud there? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's great. And you know this, Drew. I mean, baseball's been great. I mean, like any sport, you know, I, I love the nicknames. Um, I think nicknames have gone by the wayside. You look back in the you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, even through the you know, 20s and 30s, guys had nicknames, you know? And, and that's how you associated those players uh, and got to know those players, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny because, again, you and, I, you and I have become good friends through the years, and you know Doug Marino, Dougie, who's a part of our broadcast, he's a research guy, and, and, and he loves – we always kid him. Not only does he love the history of the game, but he loves like the Federalist League and back in the 1800s. And part of and part of it is is that he's going to work in some guy's name only because of the name, like High Pockets Kelly. When we had Lemayhu, because right, he, DJ was is six four, big tall middle infielder, so he would work in the only other six four second baseman he could find naturally was High Pockets Kelly. What a, I mean, what a name! And what I mean, Dougie's one of the best too, by the way, because I remember when we went to Denver. Early on, uh, he was our statistician for the visiting booth, and this this guy's one of the best, if not the best, in the business. So, first of all, you're so fortunate to have him on the home side, which you deserve, obviously, because you're the home show. But um, it, it's always fun to go over and, and talk to him before games. And uh, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but that's the thing about this COVID thing that really stinks is that you know we don't get to go over to your booth and see you and talk to you before the game and hang with you in the, in the dining room and, and, and yuck it up. So, uh, that's, you know, I miss, I miss seeing you and, uh, you know, and Jeff and, and, and Dougie. It's, it's part of the game I miss. Yeah, it, honestly it is. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about this uh, on this podcast that, you know, two, two things in terms of our game preparation um, that you miss is the interaction with players, coaches, manager, and, and, and being able to, uh, you know, pass along, you know, sidebar stories that they, they weren't, they didn't come or emanate from pointed questions. They're just daily interactions and all, and also our interactions with broadcasters. And one of the unique things about the schedule, which we both know, is that inside your division, you get to know your fellow broadcasters really well, especially the guys that have been around for a while and you know you're like furniture man you've been there for a long time what i miss more than anything might is because most of the information you gave us was bogus but I, <laughs> I i i miss being able to check what kind of sock game you have each day oh yeah 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 sock game uh that's something that i started doing a while back i just you know i'm all about accessorizing and uh i believe the I believe the belt should match the shoes, although if you're wearing some type of boat shoe, you can go crazy on the belt with multiple colors. And usually if you're wearing a boat shoe, you wear no socks. But if you're wearing a loafer or maybe a slip-on of some sort, you got to go crazy with the socks to either match the tie or the shirt. So I'm all about accessorizing. And, yeah, when my when you open up my sock drawer – I mean, it looks like a uh, somebody just you know took all every color from the the crayon box and just threw it all in there. Uh, organized? No, not one bit. I have to rifle through my socks to find out which one I'm going to wear that particular day. So uh, I will say this: this is what I miss about seeing you is when we're just about first pitch, 
and we're still uh, in commercial or whatever, and, and you stick your head in and you'll go, oh, by the way, John Gray is right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Duly noted. Duly noted. Yeah, and I see you scribbling that note down. I mean, I I, I feel that, that that's my obligation as a fellow broadcaster to um, yeah. you know, to give you a piece of information that you can utilize probably early in the game. Great information. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it was you giving me that. <laughs> well, I, hey, listen, you've had such a profound effect on me. I'm not I'm not BSing on this one. Honestly, I used to try to, you know, get the if I got a brown suit, I got a, you know, brown socks and I'd be and I hated it. And then I finally said, you know what? With all the useful useless information I get from Mud, the one thing I'm going to take away is the sock game. So now I've adopted it. I've adopted it. Yeah, well, you know what? Here's the deal. When I do wear a suit, here's what I like to do. Uh whether it's black, dark blue, navy, um whatever. I like to go, and I'm a big fan of the solid tie, although I like, I don't, you know, I like colorful ties that pop, and I know that you do too, um, but I like the look of, if you're wearing, like, say, a navy blue suit, you're wearing the um, the loafers, because I'm a big loafer guy. I like loafers. I, I just think it's a great look. Call it preppy, if you will. That's the way I, you know, grew up wearing clothes. So let's say I'm wearing a blue suit, white shirt, and wearing, like, a nice, bright orange tie. Um, I'll wear the loafers, like the brown loafers, and then with bright orange socks. I think that looks awesome. I think it pops. It looks great. Rather than the, you know, blue suit, blue blue uh, socks and, and loafers. How boring I, is that? I know. And listen, you pull it off. And, and you pulled it off nicely when you were working with the, the late and legendary Dick Enberg, because when I think of Dick and beyond just, you know, what a great broadcaster and, and how versatile he was. But, you know, Dick personified the blue blazer look, didn't he? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, can't go wrong. You know, if there's anybody listening and the first you learned a long time ago, I did learn a long time ago, to start your wardrobe, you got to start with a navy blue blazer. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I love I love mixing it up. I, I Contrast, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. I love contrast, and I love the bright colors. You know what else I love about you is that you have fun in, in, in your broadcast. You and now Don Orsilio, who's uh, Donnie's great. And and we, yeah. you know, we, we get to watch you guys sometimes late at night when I, you know, we come home from a, from a ball game. And um, I think you know that whether it's me and Jeff or me and Spilly, we, we like to have fun as well. And, and that's what it should be because at the end of the day, uh, it's it's entertainment. Uh, do you have a favorite story or two that that have uh, you know kind of come out of the booth in the wackiness? Because sometimes we do get wacky. You know, you get a little punch drunk in those four hour games, especially at Coors Field, right? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I've had the fortune, uh, the good fortune of working with guys like Mel Proctor, Dick Enberg, Matt Baskerson was here for eight years. Uh, Mark Neely, who I think you might know, um, and of course uh, Don Orsillo. And you know what, I, I, Drew, we, we you know, where, where did you grow up? First, my first question to you. I grew up in New York. I grew up just north of the okay. city. Yep. Okay, great. So my, my point, you know, I, I believe, you know, you know how people say you're a product of your environment and uh, you know the society you grow up in, stuff like that. I think that. I think that's true in sports as well. And here's where I'm going with this. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. So I grew up a Cubs fan, huge Cubs fan, because they're the only game we could get on TV. We did not have cable TV growing up. So anyway, guess who I listened to? I listened to Jack Brickhouse, and I listened to Harry Carey. Well, guess what kind of an announcer I'm going to be if I grew up to be an announcer? (laughs) Right? Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a homer, and I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed homer, and I have no problem with that. And I kind of look at it like, yeah, I'd love to have fun. I love to talk baseball. I want to teach baseball. I would think it'd be fair to say that our telecast is 90% baseball, 10% fun, maybe sometimes 85-15. But you're right. I mean, in this day and age, in the world we live in, even when things are normal, and uh, as I put in quotations, normal, 
a baseball game should be a little bit of a getaway for three or four hours for somebody to forget about life for a while, to forget about the world for a while. And, yeah, baseball's a great sport, um, you know, serious at times, but yet also fun. Like you said, we should entertain. And I think that's the philosophy, and that's the way I go about doing games. Yeah, that's a, it's a great philosophy, and more I think more now than ever before, given the circumstances of the world, it should it should be an escape. And I often refer to to baseball, live sports in general, as the last bastion of re- reality television. I mean, last yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, last week you guys became Slam Diego. Was that you or Donnie, by the way, who, who uh, coined that phrase? That was Donnie. That was Donnie. And um, one of the craziest things I've ever seen, I mean, think about it, Drew. When we come to the ballpark, how many times, and I know know you've said this, uh, it's a rhetorical question, but, you know, you see a play or something, you say, oh, my gosh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Well, guess what? We literally have never seen what we saw in San Diego last week, a team to hit a grand slam in four consecutive games. It's just crazy. And then five out, five out of six, right, Mud? Yeah, and then they had an off day. They took the day off the next day. And then, <laughs> and then the, next, the next day they thought, well, let's start another streak. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy. And when the team was at three and then the fourth game came up, Eric Hosmer came up to the plate with the bases loaded. And Don and I are talking about it. And I actually looked at him, and I was giggling like a little kid in school. I mean, like like a fourth grader giggling, and, because I was so excited, I was so excited. Yeah. And then what? And then what do you know? Next pitch, he hits a line drive, and it just barely made it over the wall. But it was exciting stuff, man. First time in major league history. Think about that. A game that started in 1869. Yeah, and that's why, even though this is a truncated season, there are going to be happenings. As you and I taped this the last night, uh, Giolito throws a no hitter. Um, I saw I saw something in a game. Uh, was it Monday night? Doesn't matter. It was it in the last couple of days? I had never uh, seen before, and that is a guy headbutting a baseball in a, in a rundown. It was Cole Calhoun, and it figures the guy who did it, Cole Calhoun, who you know looks like he'd eat a baseball. He's caught in a pickle, and I don't know if you saw the highlight of this. Tony Walters throws the ball to second. He's, you know, he's dead to rights, and he realizes that the ball's coming at him. So he head butted the baseball, and immediately the the umpire real, you know, said that's interference. You're out. I've never seen that before. Have you ever seen that in your minor league career, in your big league career? No, you know, I never have. And you know what? I'm glad you clarified that because I remember seeing it, but I, I don't think the clip I saw showed what the umpire's ruling was. So they did they did rule it obviously interference and then he was out, correct? Yeah, and and the and, okay. the and the funny thing is is that Tori Luvello comes flying out of the dugout, not quite at uh, George Brett's speed, but not far behind that, and he's irate and he gets thrown out. After the game, because now we're all into these Zoom call um, interviews, after the game Cole Calhoun he absolutely owned up to it. He said, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I knew I was out. So I just, you know, the ball was coming at me. I stuck my head out. Yeah, well, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, and I'm going way back, but remember Reggie Jackson did that in the World Series with his hip? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, there was a line drive to Billy Russell. Uh, Lou Pinnell hit a line drive to Russell. There was runners at first and second. And he purposely dropped the ball, which you can't do. And he got the force in second, threw the first for the double play, and Reggie, he put his hip out. And uh, this was in 1975, Dodgers-Yankees World Series. And, and Reggie put his hip out, he deflected the ball, and uh, all hell broke loose. And uh, that's, what it, that's what it first reminded me of. Yeah, the the other one that comes to mind is when A Rod literally reached out and tried to knock you know knock the glove off the hand of I think it was a first baseman. Uh, I know uh, Bronson Arroyo, wasn't it? Oh, okay. The pitcher going over was Arroyo. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. As we take a quick time out, I want to tell you about my friends at Ideal Home Loans. They've been in business for 19-plus years. Next year is going to be a big anniversary, and they have been doing wonderful things for so many people in our market for, as I said, two decades. Ideal Home Loans, phone number 303-867-7000, 867 
Brent Ivinson's company, they'll lend you money. They'll help with refinancing your home. They'll also help if you have to consolidate debt. We know that interest rates are great right now, and it's just not that simple. They will make the process so easy for you with the outstanding staff they have. That's why they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. I couldn't uh, recommend them more highly. Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. And now back to my conversation with Mark Grant. You were talking about crazy stuff in the booth, and just something just occurred to me. I think it was last year, you know, we had, we had a show where we opened up, you know, it was great, and, and this is right up my alley, and I think you would love it too. We specifically did a show on the baseball card. Top baseball cards. And we had a box, a brand new box from 1989. And it was great about, what was great about it is that I would just take a random pack out during the game. We'd open it and just talk about the players in the, oh, that time was my roommate. Oh, I played, you know, this guy hit a home run off. It was great. It was great stuff. Well, in the meantime, uh, <laughs> there's 29 year old gum inside the pack. <laughs> Guess guess who uh, guess who tried chewing it first? Me. <laughs> Not a shock. Yeah, you can see you can uh, you can see this whole exchange on Twitter, by the way. So I I, I put it in my mouth and it was disgusting. It like disintegrated and it, it tasted like bad Pepto Bismol. And what? then Don, and then I got Don to do it too with his reaction to it. So you know that that's just some of the stuff that you know we experience in the booth, having fun and talking ball and. Being close. Yeah, what we did the other day was very similar to that. I brought uh, one of my baseball cards in from home, and we talked about it on the air for a little bit, and then I sold it online. It was Mike Trout's rookie card, and um, so yeah, so it went it went pretty well. I got just under four million for it. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's a good night. Did, did you see that by the way? That Mike Trout's rookie card became the um, the highest, uh, the most expensive card ever sold. No, I did not. How much did it sell for? It's it literally. It's that was a joke in there, Mud. I was hoping you were up to speed on it, and and you know. No, but, no, it wasn't four million. Yeah, it, no, it did. It went for three point nine something million. Come on, Mike Trout's rookie card um, went for three point nine something million, which. Which eclipsed the the Honus Wagner card of which what? Oh was. my gosh! Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? It's it's what the market bears, right? If there's somebody out there that's willing to pay that, that's what it's worth. So uh, yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I know your bid was a little bit short. My card's worth about three cents, I would say. Yeah. Do you know a lot of people don't re- realize, or maybe they do, good hardcore Rockies fans, that your career you finished with the 93 Rockies. So you got to experience yeah. a little altitude baseball, didn't you? Oh, my goodness. You had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. You had, hey, listen, Martin, you, had a, you had a save in a Rockies uniform. You saved a ball game, thank goodness. I did. It was at Dodger Stadium, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know where it was, but I know you had a save. Yeah, I think it was Dodger Stadium, if I, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Uh, but, yes, you know what? Um I remember I was traded from the Astros to the Rockies, and I thought, what a great opportunity. Here's an expansion team. Um, I was a veteran player, and I thought, gosh, I could, to, you know, to pitch here for three, four years and maybe finish out my career, that would be great. Obviously, it didn't finish that way. I got hurt, long story short. But to play for Don Baylor, uh, my gosh, um, I, I, I loved him and respected him as a player. I remember hearing stories from Bruce Hurst, who was a teammate of mine in San Diego. Uh, he he uh, he knew Don Baylor, and then finally getting a chance to play for him it was just it was just great. Um, loved him as a person. Um, just loved his baseball attitude. Uh, he was a gamer through and through. Uh, gentle gentle giant class guy. And I made a lot of good friends in Denver. Uh, I really did. It's just a shame that I uh, was horrible. Uh, and every time my my foot uh, made contact with the pitcher's plate in a Rocky uniform, uh, good things did not happen. You, you're not alone. It's a challenge, as everybody knows, uh, to to pitch it at Coors Field. I actually like the group they have right now quite a bit. I think they have uh, 
you know, really talented group. But there's going to be, as you would know, there, there's going to be days where you can really get beat up pretty badly, even if your stuff's uh, stuff's decent uh, that day. Um, oh, yeah. And, and I pitched at Mile High Stadium, so it was 330 down the left field line. They had that high that had that high fence, but then it was like 380-something, I think, to right field. So I always tried to pitch lefties in and righties away. Probably a good strategy. Did, what, what's the perception now when, when you roll into town? Again, the Rockies and Padres play 19 times every year, so it's either nine at our place or, or 10 at our place. Um, be, beyond, you know, the thought of, okay, we're going to, you know, play another major league team. I mean, what what's your thought when – you're getting ready to broadcast games at Coors Field. Hunker down and expect a five-and-a-half-hour game. (laughs) (laughs) Drew, I don't see how you do it, bro. I I don't see how you do it. Um, I love everything about Denver. I love the city. I love the people. Um, uh, I love walking around downtown when we're there and checking out the sights. But from first pitch to last pitch, it's torture. Uh, and like I said, there are some times when it's a, if we get a, like a two hour, 40 minute game, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And then there are the ones where there's four plus hours. And so I, I don't see how you do it, man. I'm going to give you, it's not as good as Vascursions, but I'm going to give you my, um, my poor man's Vin Scully impersonation. And back in the day when, when, when Vin was, still broadcasting, obviously, but when he was traveling to Denver, I remember a number of times coming out of the booth, and he, as, as we, you and I both know, one of the great things that, that I can speak for you on is that, that we cherished our, our time being around Vin because he is great a broadcaster, a, a finer gentleman uh, than, than even the great greatest baseball broadcaster in my mind. But anyhow, Vin, coming out of the booth one night, Mud and, and at the same time, Vin comes out and he looks at me in that beautiful voice of his, that eloquent voice of his, and he says, Drew, don't they ever play crisp two-hour and 40-minute games here? And I looked at him and I said, no, not no, not here, Vin. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. And you know what? It's like I always say on the air um, to the people watching, I say, you know, in baseball there's a term you try to stay away from the big innings. Right. Well, in, it, it, it's it's totally different in Denver. There, it's like you stay away from the huge inning. Uh, big yeah. inning, you're still you're still in the game. Yeah. Do you, do you know what? You remember a couple weeks ago, Mud, when oh Texas and well, it was you guys. Of course, you remember. Forgive me. It was when Tatis hits the grand slam on the three zero pitch. I mean, you were you were behind the mic on that, and yes. and it became a controversial thing somewhat. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, Chris Woodward is a good guy, and and Chris is managing Texas, but he had he had been on the LA coaching staff for a number of years. Two days earlier, Mud, they're they're going to the ninth inning at Coors Field, down six runs, and the Rockies played it as I recall, pretty close to the vest. There was nothing outlandish that took place with the six run lead. Well, guess what? Texas scores five, and they have two guys on when the 27th out's recorded. So everybody at home in, in Colorado is on the edge of their seat. They they were one swing away from coming back from a six-run deficit and maybe winning the ball game. So depending on, to me, depending on oh the, the feel of the game, and again, you played a long time, and especially being at Coors Field, I don't think what Fernando Tatis did was that out of bounds at all. No, not at all. And I would say this if it was a a Padre pitcher and a Rockies hitter in that situation. There's a couple of factors here. One is I really dislike the unwritten rules. First of all, if they were rules, they'd be in the rule book, and we'd read them, and we'd buy by them. Okay. Secondly, the, the 3-0 pitch, it was in the eighth inning, down by six or seven, I think it was, and with the – with the state of our bullpen at that time, we had a 15 ERA. A 15 ERA with, uh, 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 the last five games. So there was no guarantee. There's never any guarantee. But there was, our, our, our bullpen was in shambles. So any way we could add on, I, I had no problem with it. And this is coming from a former pitcher. And my, I even said on the air, I said, you know what? Pitch better. 
Get ahead. Right. Throw fair. What, what, what's the difference between swinging at a first pitch fastball right down the middle of the plate for a grand slam? Oh, are, are, are hitters supposed to lay down their bat and come to the pitcher and say, okay, I'll give you a free strike, okay, 3-0, and throw it down the middle, I'll give it to you. No. Pitch better. I could I couldn't agree more. Um, I think I do think certain quote unquote unwritten rules are archaic. Um, you know this again, having been a big leaguer for a long time. I know on the pitching side, hitting a pitch baseball, even if you yelled to the hitter and said, "Hey, this is coming," hitting hitting a ball coming in at more than ninety miles an hour. And now in today's game, it's probably half the time closer to 100 miles an hour. And squaring it up and hitting it 400 feet ain't easy. And so I I have no issue. And since we mentioned Fernando Tatis, what a joy it must be to go to the ballpark every day and watch this kid play because – your eyes can't leave him, whether it's on defense, whether it's on the base paths, you know, obviously when he's at the plate, your eyes are on him. Have you ever seen in your playing days, in your broadcasting days, a a kid that that is this gifted and plays with the kind of joy he does? No. My short answer, and I'll elaborate on that. The kid is unbelievable. You've seen a lot of baseball. I've seen a lot of baseball. I've played with a lot of young players. And to put this in perspective, um, do you remember Bob Chandler? Bob did – Padres radio and TV for many, many years. Yep. Do you remember, do you remember Bob? Uh, I, I do. I didn't know him, but I do remember when he was in San Diego. Yeah, well, Bob's a dear friend of mine. I worked with him um, one year in 1996 on TV, and I called him the other day because, you know, he's, he's basically a Padres historian, knows everything about the Padres franchise. So we were talking, and I said, Bob, you've seen a lot of players in your day come and go. What do you think of Fernando Tatis Jr.? And he said the first words out of his mouth were, I think he's better than Robbie Alomar was. And I said, excuse me? He goes, think about it. He goes, he hits for average, more better average. At this point in time in his career, I'll say he's saying, hits for power. He's got a better arm, although Robbie was a second baseman. Fernando's a, a shortstop. So he hits for power, average. He can run better. He's got better range and he's got a better arm. And I thought, you know what? He's absolutely right. And granted, you know, he's only played in 120, 140 games or whatever. But still, the impact that this kid has made on the game of baseball, not only in San Diego, but the game of baseball, uh, in the baseball world, is incredible. And, 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 you, and you just said it, too. The, the, the refreshing thing about this whole thing is you're not going to meet a nicer kid he loves playing the game. He roots for his teammates. And it's a pure, he has, it's a pure joy for him to play the game, which I think is refreshing. But he's the whole package, man. He's a generational type player. He's a generational type player. And as opposed to many years when the Padres came to town, even if it was Coors Field, other than a couple of guys in the middle of the lineup, that lineup didn't strike much fear in it. But this is certainly a different Padre team with Tatis, uh, you know, another young player, Jay Cronenworth, has, has done marvelous things, University of Michigan product. But, you know, then you, you still got Machado, who's a great, great player. You have Hosmer. This is a legit lineup, probably the best lineup, I would think, Mud, that you've ever uh, seen in San Diego. Is that fair? I think so. It's one of the top ones. 98, you always have to go back. And once again, you know, we've been starved here in San Diego with great teams. You talk about 84, different type teams. You talk about uh, 96, 98. Um, 98 went to the World Series, and they had a really, really good lineup. But this has the potential of being that type of lineup. I mean, they hit home runs. Uh, they play really good defense. Uh, the one downfall, I think, for a while there in this short season was the bullpen, although the bullpen's coming around. We've had a couple of injuries as well, which kind of hurts, but uh, still holding their own. But you're right, this, this, this lineup – uh, with Hosmer, Tatis, Machado, Cronenworth, it makes you know it makes everybody better. And you know our, our lineup, Drew, has been to where if the middle of the lineup's not doing anything, the bottom of the lineup picks them up, and and vice versa. So it's got that kind of balance to it. You know, we've hit all these home runs. I think we're second in the National League and second Major League Baseball in home runs. And there's like twelve or di- twelve or thirteen different guys on the roster that have hit home runs. So it's not just like 
two or three guys. It's spread out throughout the whole lineup, which is which is fun to watch. It, you guys have been a blast, um, and it's it's listen. It's I root for number one. We I root for the Colorado Rockies to win 162 naturally, just like you do at the Padres. But but for the Padres and the Rockies, two teams that seemingly and I guess everybody else looking up at the Dodgers. I'm happy for your success. Um, because I know how much fun it is as a broadcaster when you go to the yard every night, even though you have nothing, you, you have you can have no impact on the outcome. But to to be able to go to the uh, the park kind of with a bounce in your step because you, your club's playing well, it's a great feeling, isn't it? It is a good feeling. And you know what, Drew, it's weird because, like I said earlier, you know, we've been neglected here uh, in San Diego with, with good teams and, and not a lot of success. But I can honestly say like this year, like when we're in commercial break and we're coming back and the Padres are going to hit. And it's like, it's actually, I'm kind of, I'm excited to get back to the action because they might do something. They might score three, four runs. They might hit a home run. They might hit a grand slam uh, because they've proven that up until this point in time. And then on the other side of the scorecard, when it's commercial break and they're playing defense, We've got Machado at third. We've got Tatis at short. We've got Hosmer. We've got potential rookie of the year in Jake Cronenworth. I mean, it's it's fun to watch this team defensively, too. So both sides of the scorecard, it's something to look forward to when you see this Padre team on the field. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, and, again, it's it, it, I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great for, for the Rockies and Padres division, the NL West, when it's not just a singular story and there's other good stories. And, and hopefully the Rockies in this second half, they were a good story the first couple of weeks. They, they played a little bit better this week, fortunately. And look forward, look forward. I wish I was seeing you this uh, weekend when the Rocks and Padres got together. But uh, hopefully the season continues to go well for, uh, for both clubs. But it's always great catching up, man. And, and I'll keep my sock game uh, up to speed uh, as best I can. All right, Drew. You be well. And uh, all my best to the great people of the state of Colorado and uh, to all the people you work with there, give them my best on this scene, y'all. Yeah, do the same with Donnie, man. Take care, bud. Bye, Drew. That interview brought to you, of course, by Ideal Home Loans. Love the interview. Very, um, lots of good topics. Um, really was concerned for you guys that you spent like 15 minutes talking about your wardrobe. <laughs> I mean, I was like, okay. And then I'm, you guys were feeling it. You're like, yeah, and then this, and then brown and black and well, Mutt blue. Well, Mud will come in. Mud's a pretty big guy. Mud will come in, and I can do this now because I'm, I'm dressed decently. He'll come in and he'll do like this on the socks. And so you like my sock game today, mm-hmm. Julie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right? um, green and polka dots. Yeah, but but I, really I didn't have a sock game until Mud started. And Mud would pull up his thing and I was like, you know what? I got to do that because I would always try to match. All right. I have a dark blue suit and I have brown shoes. So what mm-hmm. sock? And I'm going through the sock drawer and you know me, I'm always running late. Anyhow, that's mm-hmm. causing me more stress. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go to the multi-purpose, colorful, different looking <laughs> sock game. And now I have a lot of fun picking those out. And that's all because of, uh, because of mud. Okay. Now I know what to get you uh, for the holidays. Yeah. You guys spent a good time talking about Tatis, who's just a talent, just a, and a young kid, Mud was saying he's a he's a great kid, you know, for all the right reasons. Which you love hearing, even though he's in the NL West. But you know, if he and a generational player like Nolan, what you guys were talking about, I mean, it is kind of exciting. It's really exciting because if you're a lover of baseball, listen, you know, people here in in Colorado they root as they should for the for the Broncos. I want to see the Broncos do well. I'm still a New York football giant fan. Also, I want to see the Giants do well. But you telling me I'm not excited to watch Patrick Mahomes? Patrick yep. Mahomes is a phenomenal talent. He's good for football. Whether you love or despise Tom Brady, good for football. When Peyton Manning wore an Indy jersey, you know what? Good for football. Marshall Falk, you know, you go way back. Those people, whether they play for your team or not, they're marvelous talent. You know, LeBron James never played for the Nuggets, right? But, you know, special talent. Mm-hmm. So the, that's great. And this young man who, yeah, the Rockies are going to have to compete against for a long time, plays with a smile on his face. He plays a, a very important defensive position, right? Shortstop, maybe short of catcher, the most important position on the field defensively. He's a wizard. He's terrific offensively. He can hit the ball over the wall. He can hit for average. On the base pass, he flies. So it's not just 
will he steal a base? But if he hits one in the gap, will he turn a double for most people into a triple? Mm-hmm. Can he score on, on on a on a you know a base hit where other guys can't? He's fun. And and he's doing it with a smile on his face. I, I visited with him a little bit uh, last year, and just like Mud says, who, who knows him well, you know, great kid. That's who baseball, you know, in addition to the Trouts and the and the Trevor stories and the Nolans, you have to really raise this guy up and put him on a pedestal from a marketing standpoint, like the NFL has done with Mahomes, like the NBA does so very very well with their marquee players. I'm just happy he doesn't play for the Dodgers, like you were saying. Like, yeah. I mean, they got enough talent. They've they've got enough talent. Okay, so I know you got to run. Take your socks and go. Take my socks and go. <laughs> you didn't say anything about my shoe game today. They're great. It's like a burgundy. I mean, you're bringing it. How's that? Yeah, I really like these. These are my my Cole Haan and they're mm. and they you know got the blue. Well, mm. never mind. Okay. nobody nobody gives it crap. Hey, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy. Stay safe. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the ritz. Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes and cut away coat, perfect fits. Putting on the ritz.